Lucky Land Slots, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. You're listening to Getting to the Point. The Business Reinvention Podcast from Big Small. In this series, we hear inspiring stories from those who've cut through complexity and confusion to redefine their brands and businesses. Today, we're talking to Liam Newton about the reinvention of Carlsberg in the UK. Thank you very much, Liam, for joining us. We're delighted to have you on the podcast. Nice to be here. What does uh, getting to the point mean to you? I think getting to the point for me is about clarity isn't it first and foremost phrase I always use is about elegant simplicity it's about trying to say it in the sort of clearest possible way without kind of dumbing it down because there's so much wallpaper out there um, that we all see on a day-to-day basis there's so many marketing messages how do you make sure your your one actually cuts through so with Carlsberg we'll leap straight in if that's okay so what was the the tipping point because we've all kind of I guess we've all been there um uh, internally kind of you know you're, you're working on a, on a product so you're part of the brand and you're kind of saying this what we're saying is not quite true anymore and you're kind of doing it under your breath or in the corridors but where did where, when was the point where you what was the tipping point where you said no we have to make this the idea at the center and we have to actually change the beer itself I think the the tipping point was you know we, we were in a category the sort of standard lager category which you know I would say hadn't evolved generally for a long time you know I think the with Carlsberg hadn't and the other brands within it hadn't humans were really voting with their feet you know they tended to be moving out of that category into more premium um, beer categories and so we were seeing um, you know decline of the category decline of the brand and really then it became you know we were locked into this race to the bottom really where it then becomes about um, competing on price and we all know that's not a sustainable outcome so I think um there was an opportunity to put the foot on the ball and actually, you know, step back and take a more strategic view of where we wanted the brand to be in the future. And I think we spent about um, three or four months really getting under the grips of why do we think categories declining? Why do we think we've declined? What we concluded was that we needed to, to move away from being effectively the cheapest beer on the bar in that category to being the best. And if we were going to be the best, um, it wasn't enough to, um, you know, to wrap a marketing story around it. Um, we genuinely needed to be the best and it needed to start with the beer. It needed to uh, incorporate the whole experience of glass, um, the font in the bars, the packaging. And then ultimately it would need to um, you know, show up different in the way we were communicating to the consumer. But it was really facing into, into that challenge of if we carry on as we are today, um, you know, this category and this brand, you can you can predict where it's going to be in five to ten, ten years time. It just wasn't a um, appealing place, particularly when it's the name above the door. You know, it's the name of the company. Um, and the brand around the world was performing really strongly. It was only in the UK where Carlsberg as a brand was, wasn't performing well. And it was because 
in the UK market, we chase the wrong things. We we become obsessed with you know with being the biggest or or focusing on volume or being the cheapest rather than actually being being the best. We'd lost our way, and that then provided the clue for what we might do with the with the campaign when we ultimately launched it. One of the things I love about this project is, is that it's absolutely true to the fundamental point at the heart of the Carlsberg business. So for our listeners, um, the headquarters of Carlsberg in Copenhagen has a set of these beautiful gates and they've got these two stone elephants on the side and on the gates is written the statement from the founder. It says, In the brewery's operations, a constant goal, regardless of immediate gain, should be to develop the art of making beer to the greatest possible degree of perfection so that the brewery and its products may ever serve as a model and, by their example, assist in keeping beer brewing in this country at a high and honourable level. So it definitely feels as if you're living up to the promise of the founder with this project, Liam. You're absolutely right. The goal, what we call those golden words um, on the brewery, if anyone that's been to, to Copenhagen and seen, seen the elephant gates and the golden words on them, um, that was a critical part of our diagnosis of what we needed to do differently. Very often you have to go back and actually understand the motivations of the founder and the history and the heritage of the brand and think about actually how you reinterpret that and bring that to life in a, you know, in a modern, modern context. So I think by the time it got to the campaign, I think there was, there was a very broad agreement that what we were trying to do was very ambitious um, and very bold to try and sort of change the way the UK um, thought about um, thought about the brand, but there was a there was a, a strong degree of support behind it. I think when it comes to the campaign itself, um, what I would say is that what one of the first things that we did was we created a manifesto for the campaign, which was an internal manifesto. Um, but I think that manifesto film was so critical because it made us internally, it made the hairs on the back of our neck stand up when we when we all saw it. And it became very, very important in the creative development of the ultimate campaign because you know, there was a lot of work done. And, and every time that we felt we might have got slightly lost, we came back to the sentiment that was expressed in that film. With a big shift like this, it's always critical to bring key stakeholders with you, of course. Um, especially on a global brand. How hard was that in this case? From a, from a stakeholder management point of view, I was very, very lucky to have um, a, a chief marketing officer in the business who was very supportive of what we were doing and also very, very um, keen for us to push the envelope. So Jessica Spence, who was the chief marketing officer at the time, um, was really encouraging. So every time we, we, we were discussing the campaign, she was really keen that we that we pushed it. And we had some fantastic conversations with her. That really helped, I think, with the stakeholders, um, you know, back in Copenhagen, that to make sure that everybody understood what it was we were trying to do. We had to be very clear in the campaign that we were referring to the UK only. You know, we were very clear at calling out, you know, it's in the UK that we lost our way, you know, that we focused on the wrong things, that we went from being the cheapest to the best those things and that was important because in a lot of you know as i said in the other markets the brand was performing really well um they weren't there wasn't a need to improve the beer quality and other things because beer quality was great in other markets so that was a challenge we had to be very very careful with to make sure that nobody you know people didn't pick up something in another market and think that um what we were doing in the uk was applying to them i thought it was a, a brilliant uh what's on the gates 
pointing back at that and going, that's actually what we're absolutely about. Felt yeah, and the way you did that seemed to yeah absolutely work magically. Exactly. Um, and, so- and just on that, I mean, that there was this, there's something that's important around that. That that, that really drove um, the sort of tonality of of the messaging because. If, if this was a classic brand marketing relaunch, you know, you're in the world of new, improved, you know, all those kind of claims that, you you know, you always seem to get with, with relaunch campaigns when you're, you know, you're talking about a functional difference or, or, or some improvement you've made. You know, this this was very different from our side because this wasn't us about us um, doing that. This was us going back to our roots. Um, looking at what where we should have been all along and, and actually going back to live living that. So it was a very different message from a, a classic new improved type relaunch campaign. This was actually holding our hands up to say, look, look at the founders' words. Um, you know, we've not been living up to them in the UK recently, you know, um, and we're, we're, we're being honest with that in terms of um, cutting through with the message. So this is what we've done about it. Um, so, that, so, so it was really, really important that we wanted this to come across in a in a different way, not just in a traditional brand relaunch that we've seen a thousand times before. That's great, and you can see the big smallers nodding our heads um, because uh, yeah, we even coined the phrase "going you know, to be yourself." It's easier. Yeah. Um, the the idea of of getting back to the heart of of who you are as a brand and and everything else just flows from there. Yeah. Um, it's a great example of that. So. The new brew. So before even kind of getting into the world of marketing, as you said, it was uh, it, it's much more fundamental than that. How how do you go about uh, making a brand new beer? Well, thankfully, I mean this this is this is this comes back to the quality of the brewers that we have within the within the business, um, both in the UK and also um, you know uh, globally. So we have a, a fantastic group development um, function that um, you know looks at brew quality. Uh, you know, across the world. So we work, we very much sat with them um, and our own master brewers to look at the brew and to talk about, you know, some of the feedback that we had, I guess, you know, um, some of the things that we were picking up were to do with um, the beer tasting, let's say more on the watery side of things or lacking flavor um, and those things. So we were able to go through the research, able to point out the areas that we were, we were picking up as, areas that we might we might need to improve and and together with them worked on um, an alternative brew effectively that, that we eventually um, put into research we needed to make sure we got to a place where we genuinely had the best beer you know within that competitive set um, and it was a great moment when we got the test results back and and we achieved that but it's very much through the brewing credentials of the uh, of the people within the business you know that's why this was such a big cross-functional project because we needed to you know we needed to understand things from a brewing point of view we needed to get experts involved in that side of things you know whether it was on the snap pack side of things that was to do with sustainability we really needed to be you know to work with our experts you know in that field um it did, really did run across all aspects of our of our business you know we probably had something like 80 90 people working on this project in the, you know not full time but working with them across the different work streams at that point so um it was very fortunate we we, we have that quality of um of resource within the business to help us with the with the project and so practically um, going about having that that amount of people um working in lots of different streams practically how do you keep people kind of aligned uh from you know on that point um i know you said that you probably referred back to that manifesto film but practically every day how do you keep people aligned 
Well, um, working for me at the time, I was very fortunate to have um, Lindsay Woods, who was the director of marketing for Carlsberg, who um, if you cut Lindsay open, she would she would bleed green. She talked about the, the green and white army. She was brilliant at, um, at bringing you know, telling a story and bringing people with her on that on that journey. So one of the things that we did was we mapped out the story. We, we created this space within the office that was a dedicated room that we could walk everybody internally through the whole story from the history um, through to um, trying the new beard, seeing the new glassware, seeing the new font, trying it alongside our, our old beer. Um, sharing some of the, the manifesto, all the things that we talked about. So everybody in the organization um, literally had the opportunity in groups of sort of 10, 15 to go through this Carlsberg experience room. So they everybody really understood what it was we were trying to do, why we were doing it, um, and the changes that we were making. Um, so that was that was part of it. That was in a sense um, making sure that people's hearts and minds were 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 sort of with us on the on that. And then I think from uh, in the nitty gritty side of things, it's down then to project management, having a very clear sort of governance for the project management of the project. So we had a steering you know, committee that met every two weeks um, and each of the work streams would, as and when there were updates, would report into that steering committee and things would get approved and we'd, we'd move on. So it was really a combination of hearts and minds on the one side and, and very good project management on the other and, and fantastic leadership from Lindsay. Um, you know, to make sure that the, the, the overall project ran really well. Excellent, truly from the, the inside out, as, uh, as we mentioned earlier on. Mm, definitely. Um, so you said that um, kind of you actually changed um, every aspect of the drinking experience, even the, the glass um, that Carlsberg was served in. Why was that wholehearted approach so important? If I go back to what I said around, you know, our goal was to go from being the cheapest to the best within the, within the, the category, that was our guiding light for everything that we did. So, you know, the brew, we got to a point where we knew that was the gonna, you know, from a, from brew test results, that was the best brew in the category. It was the same principle that we applied to every aspect of the mix. So the glassware, you know, we tested different glassware options. The chalice glass that we, we, we went with in the end was because it was seen as the best glassware within the, the standard lager category. It was the same for the font. It was the same for the packaging that we utilized. So it was really, Everything had to had to bring to life this principle of being the best within the sector. Um, and if we had one element that, that failed to live up to that, that could be the chink that lets the whole experience down. So it was thinking about the experience in the round and making sure that everything was, was at the, the ultimate point to deliver that proposition. At Big Small, we often find that a, a really good brand film brings the strategy to life. Uh, and it could actually do more to embed the strategy than a hundred PowerPoint slides. Could you remember the detail of the brand film for this project? Because it sounds sounds as if the brand film really helped it. Exactly right. I mean, it was. I, I do remember it because we spent so much time crafting it, you know, and going back and forth on getting it absolutely right. But you're right. It was going back, effectively talking about um, the origins of Carlsberg, talking about the words. Um, on the on the uh, the golden words on the uh, on the elephant gate, and also talking about there's there's a there's a expression that we use within Carl, Carlsberg called semper ardens, which I think is also on the golden words, which means always burning, which is this sort of pursuit of better all the time. And I think there was a moment in the film where we talked about the fact that um, 
you know, when we talked about we lost our way, that almost the fire went out. You know, that was the way we kind of we kind of dramatised it. And we talked about in the UK, a lot of the language that I've, that I've mentioned already around, you know, focused on, focusing on being the biggest, not the best. Um, um, and so it was very much around that, the golden words, the UK then, you know, losing its way against that, the light going out, and then very much around what is it then we're doing to, to, um, to live back up to our, our promise. That was the structure of it very much. And, and obviously, you know, within a manifesto and, and with, with film, you know, bringing that to life, you know, in the way that you, you know, you can with, with sort of music and voiceover and, uh, and visuals. So it was, a, it was a very powerful, powerful film that really, as you say, played a great role in keeping us on track internally, making sure that, you know, we won hearts and minds internally, but also very powerful with customers. And ultimately, it was the inspiration for where, they, where the campaign landed. It sounds like the acceptance that the old brew wasn't good enough was quite liberating because um, yeah. then it seems to have given you the license to take a fresh look at every aspect of the brand. Is that right? Exactly. And I think I think when, um, you know, when you do that diagnosis phase, which obviously is that when I, when I mentioned about putting our foot on the ball, that's when you've got, you know, and that's the challenge, I think, very much with 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 marketeers very often is you don't have the chance to put the foot on the ball because you're constantly, you know, in the in the moment but i think that was a great opportunity to um to go back to the future in a sense um look at the history the heritage um the founders words and lindsay i mentioned who was the um who sort of led the project in in my team you know she was a walking encyclopedia for all of the different stories you know the backstories around the you know around um founders of carlsberg and the stories and everything else so she was constantly able to sort of bring those in into the mix and that was a great part also of the storytelling internally um i mean the other, the other thing that i'll mention we didn't we didn't talk about this in the in the in the campaign specifically but not necessarily everybody realizes that carlsberg is owned by a foundation um and actually you know 51 percent ownership of the of this company is um is owned by a foundation that was set up um right you know right back in the sort of um 1800s you know in the early stages of the of the, the company's um, ownership and um what that what that foundation does effectively is 30 percent of the profits that are made by carlsberg go back into that foundation and they're put to good causes i mean one of the, one of the things lots of things have been invented by that foundation just to give you one example the ph scale was discovered by the carlsberg laboratory um, early on, you know, there's lots of things, and this, and they work to this day um, on funding lots of interesting, interesting projects. So there was a lot in there that meant, meant this was a company and a brand that wasn't um, just another corporation. Um, this is a company that was very, very progressive. You know, that had a foundation, you know, um, hundred and odd years ago, and was, and actually, you know, that what that what that laboratory did originally was, you, you know, one of the things with beer that's really important is. In the early days of, of brewing in Europe, it was very hard to brew beer consistently because the yeast would vary dramatically each time that you, um, you used it. So you could brew a batch and then the next batch would taste actually very different. Um, and then people actually, sometimes you had beer sickness where, where it would be slightly off and, and people would, would not very, be very well. One of the things that the Carlsberg Laboratory did was they were the first people to actually propagate yeast in order to make it you know, consistent over time. And, and they they revolutionised the ability to to brew you know to a, to a, a recipe on a consistent basis, and again way way before their time, rather than keeping that as some you know patent or you know a proprietary 
uh, insight, they gave that to the brewers of Europe at the time. So they, they gave all of the other brewing dynasties and families across Europe um, that knowledge. You know, that's again so ahead of their time. And um, there was a lot, there's a lot, so much stuff to unpack, you know, talk, talking about getting to the point. I mean, it was just, there was the challenge is almost there's too much in there to tell. So this is, this is why we have to keep coming back to the manifesto to go, you know, with this particular campaign, what is it we're trying to say and, and, and stick to that point. You're listening to Getting to the Point, the business reinvention podcast from Big Small. It's one thing for a brand to, to be honest enough to acknowledge that it's lost its way, but but also to be to be doing it the way that you did it was absolutely fantastic. So, and Twitter went mad for for you um, for anyone who doesn't know promoting promoting tweets that were essentially uh, slagging off the brand. So, a Watson at Watson Willer said, "My pint of Carlsberg tastes like go- goblin piss," um, and you promoted that uh, that tweet. Um, so, obviously, you knew the new brew was coming. But how were you feeling the night before um, you start when you were starting? You started promoting those tweets. Yeah, I mean it's great. I mean, what I would say first of all, I mean, we 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 were working, you know, on the campaign. You know, there, there was months and months of different creative development and different ideas around the different aspects of the campaign. Um, very much, you know, and, and and using the fantastic cross-functional agency team, you know, that that we had, you know, across discipline to sort of come up with ideas and we were looking at lots of different um, ways in which we could launch the campaign and then this idea of mean tweets landed and immediately it was that just felt absolutely you know spot on as a very different way of of launching the campaign um and this is where this is where it was great having you know jessica's support as a senior stakeholder because literally we went we we mined all of the horrible things that people had said about our old beer um, and we had some great meetings where we were going that where do, where you know what what's the line where do we where do we move up to in terms of what we can and can't say and it was really encouraging about you know about pushing that as you you've seen that's what we did um the idea was then how do we then you know get our employees to read out these messages and you've seen the, the films and um you know they hadn't seen those before they were reading them out so the looks you're seeing on their faces a genuine you know shock about how you know how some people have described the beer the thing we did before that campaign went live is we promoted some of the negative tweets before we launched mean tweets we took a few of them and we promoted them um so they started to sort of trend a little bit in isolation and that was the that was the time where we started to get a few phone calls from people to say you know have you got a disgruntled employee um is there something wrong with the you know the algorithm you know in your social media or what's what's kind of happening um and that was the sort of prelude so it started to create a little bit of, of interest um and then we, you know and a bit of a buzz and we started to ask you know people asking questions about whether we made a mistake and then obviously they we then launched with the mean tweets um campaign i have to say it was nerve-wracking um because when you're taking a risk like that and it, you know it was a was a calculated risk you just don't know how it's how it's going to land and so there was a there was absolutely i would say you know i remember it i remember it very vividly um thinking well you know i think we've done the right thing here but but you know how's this gonna how's this gonna land um all of us within the carlsberg team um the, the day that it, it kind of launched we changed our linkedin profiles for a very short period of time 
think we said something on the lines of, you know, search for new opportunities, dot, 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 probably, uh, because we, you know, we didn't know how it would land. But, it, but very quickly, um, the films went viral and then, and then people started to see what it was we were doing. And I think really appreciating the, the honesty of it, you know, in terms of the, the sort of tonality and the boldness of it. Um, that I think, you know, I think it was something like we got 15 million views, I think, of the um, of the mean tweet, different the various mean tweet films that we initially launched. And I think I think one of the things that worked well was launching with the mean tweets, you know, first of all, and that that created a lot of interest. And then a couple of weeks later, whenever it was launching with the the outdoor, which was probably not the best beer in the world, so we changed it. I think that was very newsworthy because of the the iconic nature of the uh, of the line. And that created a sort of a second wave of interest, I think, around what we were doing with the campaign. And then the sort of TV bit, if you like, came came at the end where we'd we'd created a film called The Lake with Mads Mikkelsen, where, you know, he's he's sort of rowing across the lake talking about, you know, the UK. And then, you know, he says, as the man responsible, as the person responsible for the old beer been dealt with. And you kind of, he looks looking back at the lake and you see the, the effect. So the TV bit, which I, I think most people would expect to come first, was almost the third element of the of the campaign. So what we got from that, I think, were three bites at getting the message across about what it was we were we were doing. All all of them, I think, um, you know, all of them were, were bold, all of them had the same tonality about the honesty of putting our hands up and saying, you know, we, we lost our way, we needed needed to get back to um, you know, to uh, you know, our the DNA of, of where how the brand sort of started out. But yeah, certainly in those early that early week, very nerve wracking. Like when you just don't know how it's going to land because nobody's done anything quite like that before. You just don't know how, it, how it's going to land. We spend a lot of time with clients on embedding the new strategy so that people actually take action uh, to drive it through the business. Have people stayed true to the strategy beyond the excitement of that initial launch period? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think ultimately it's keeping people um, excited about it. it comes down to the results that we're getting from the campaign, because I think ultimately, you know, you need, this is, this is, this is there to deliver a, you know, a commercial outcome. You know, we were, as I said, the category was declining. We were declining. We needed to reverse that. Um, the most, you know, the most, um, I think, rewarding thing to see is is the results that we've seen in the on-trade if for example in the year since um, the whole relaunch happened so we've seen a 108 million pounds turnaround in performance in the on-trade over that period of time so we've seen you know prior to the relaunch the brand was declining in circa 70 million retail sales in the in the on-trade and um, just before lockdown that shifted through to about 30 million in growth. So we got the brand from steep decline back into growth. And that growth was increasing because it was all driven by rate of sale. You know, it was driven by the new beer, it was driven by the new glassware and everything else that sort of come with it. So the the, the key to keeping people true to it is, is showing that I think that, it, that it's working. Um, we all know that brands like Carlsberg, that those brands that are, um, you know, big established brands where there's lots of you know uh, established perceptions around them it takes time to change that and we always knew this was going to be you know a two-year minimum job to do that and and we and i think unfortunately you know a, a year in we've had 
we've had COVID-19, which is which has been you know disruptive to, to for all sorts of reasons. Um, but it's a, it's not a quick fix. You know, there are no silver bullets with this. It's 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 about you know um, being really focused, being really clear on what it is we're doing, but using the results that we've had to to fuel that fuel that success. So Liam, this is the point of the podcast where we get more personal. <laughs> I'd like to ask you: Do you think you found your own point? I, I think, as I said, I think at the at the beginning, I, I have have a sort of slight obsession with with clarity and and um, elegant simplicity. I guess in terms of certainly certainly in terms of it's easier to do that in written words sometimes than it is around when you're trying to make the point verbally. But I just think it. I just think it's so critical, um, you know, from a from that point of view. So, have I found my own personal point? I, I don't know. It's a very good, very good question. But I think certainly from a, um, you know, when I think about how I apply that thinking to everything I do within uh, within my role, I think it applies across the board. It's not just about a campaign. I think it's true of of a process or it's true of, um, you know, strategic clarity, whatever it, whatever it might be. It's about trying to be as focused and as sing, single minded as you can be. So I, I live, I, I certainly try to live to that ethos, if you like, in, in how I, how I work, whether I found my life point is, a, is probably the one I need to go away and think about. Before we go, I have to ask you about another project because I'm told you were responsible for launching Quality Street's big green triangle and the big purple one. Yes. Is that right? Well, it's interesting. I, to go, Going back to the boldness point, I mean, I, as a, I had an original, one of my original jobs at, at Nestle Roundtree. I was um, the brand manager on Quality Street. And one of my jobs was relaunching the brand, which which I did at a very difficult time. It was during the time of, you know, Mars had launched with celebrations. And so suddenly brands like Quality Street and Roses were starting to feel a little bit um, old fashioned. Um, and um, there were other things kind of kind of happening. So I, I relaunched Quality Street. It went, it was one of these things as a relaunch, it was very well received internally. Um, I ended up getting promoted to another role, um, but the relaunch actually wasn't successful. And I was very, very lucky that a year later I got, I got promoted again back into doing a, a sort of looking after 15 category in total per Nestle, which included Quality Street. So I had a second opportunity to, to make amends. The key learning first time around was we just hadn't been bold enough in terms of what we were doing. The, the stuff that we thought was, was bold actually wasn't. The consumer almost didn't notice some of the changes that we made. So the second time around, um, um, when we relaunched the brand, we got it right, and um, we overtook, I think, Roses. I think for the first time in ten years, from a market share point of view, which is such a fantastic um, feeling on the brand. But as always happens when you've got some success in the team, you know, confidence builds. You know, and you and you and you start um, operating at another level. And one of the things that that came up as a follow up to that relaunch was. You know, if you look at Mars celebrations, they've been successful by taking their their large count line bars and miniaturizing them and putting them into a um, you know into a, an assortment. What about if we take our iconic suites like the purple one on the green triangle, supersize them and take them into the you know the sort of Christmas category, sell them as singles, a bit like a bit like um, you know um, cream egg at Christmas was the sort of the, uh, the idea. And I think we launched the big purple one. 
as we called it in that sort of follow-up season and then the following year the green triangle launched and i think the combination of the relaunch and those bits of innovation meant that we actually we then overtook i think celebrations i think in the following following year so again it just shows a little bit about being true to your brand you know not trying to be something else but actually looking at what are the things about your brand that um, people really love and you know with, with quality street there was always that conversation around the tin of christmas the sweets everybody loved the sweets people didn't like you know all those things um and we knew that those you know we knew how people people like the sweets you know in terms of preference through the different mix and we knew that those really iconic sweets like the, the purple one and the green triangle which had been in the brand right almost from the beginning those were the things that were really distinctive and, and different so i still remember the first time that we got the um the samples back you know when we said to the factory can you produce something that actually looks like a big purple one and, and tastes like one and has all the same squeakiness of the wrapper when you um you know when you un unpull the wrapper and all those things and they did a fantastic job so it really delivered i think as a product against the the concept so that's certainly that whole experience on on quality street is one that um has always stayed with me as a, as a learning you know as i've kind of gone through my career and finally if you had one piece of advice to someone faced with reinventing a brand what would that be i guess my one bit of advice would be to make sure that you don't skimp on the diagnosis phase um you know, if there are three phases, if you like, to to developing a, um, a plan, you know, you've got the diagnosis phase, let's say, then you've got the strategy phase, and then the execution of the plan phase. I think very much um, it's very easy for a lot of marketeers to get into that last last point. I think there's a great um, phrase that Mark Ritson uses called tactification. Um, and you obsess about the tactic rather than really making sure that you're your strategy is good and that your strategy is really based on on really good sound analysis. So I, I, my advice would be um, don't get sucked into the tactification trap. I think if you've got, if you've done your work up front and you're really clear about the analysis and you've got the diagnosis right and you spent enough time getting the strategy right, I think the other things will, will follow quite naturally. Um, that's, that's the one piece of advice I would say for a, for a relaunch or for, or, or for a launch, but I guess particularly for a relaunch. Thank you very much, Liam, for, for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, I'm off to get myself a, find myself a purple, big purple one. <laughs> that was Getting to the Point. If you would like to get to the point, Big Small can help. Visit bigsmall.works and redefine your business in 12 weeks. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.